morning. It's nice to see you. So let's start with a little exercise. I need from you, please, uh, four numbers from one to 100. And I'd, being a good LBC teacher, I need you to raise your hand so that if I don't have 100 numbers shouted at one time, just to raise your hand and give me a number from one to 100. Yes. 17. Okay, second one. Yes. 37. 37. Back there. Three. And one more. Yes. 76. Okay, bear with me here for a moment. Uh, 37, 32, and three. And 76. All right, so the first number tells me where I'm going upstairs or downstairs. Second number tells me which section we're going to. Third, which row. And fourth, which seat. So I need the person in that second section in the third row up. One, two, three. And the furthest to the left. Okay, so I think I see right behind Scott there. Yeah, could you come here for a minute, please? It's good. So uh, it takes a little bit of courage for someone to uh, come down uh, here. But actually, I want to give you a gift. And uh, here's fine. There you go. Thank you. You're welcome. That's all. Have a seat. <laughs> he didn't do anything for that. <laughs> um, actually, I gave him a copy of my book that I wrote recently and came out. <laughs> uh, um, but there's no expectation, no, no, nothing he did to, to earn that. By the way, have you, uh, hear ye, hear ye. Yeah, the town crier was the first social media that we had. And um, behold, I bring you of, and so think about bringing good news. Today we're talking about the good news of the gospel message. We've looked, I mean, thanks, Alex, for, for reminding us of Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. When we remind ourselves that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. And what I love about Paul's epistles is how often he starts with, this is who God is, this is your situation, now here's how we deal with it, and how do you live it out. He's highly theological, but also highly practical. That word, good news, comes from the Greek word, euangelion, e, and being a uh, my master's degree is in teaching English as a second language. That E-U root means good. Think about a word eulogy, for example, at a funeral, saying a good word. Angelion is the Greek word for angel or messenger. And so good news is a good message. And we get to proclaim the gospel message, the good news message of Jesus Christ. And so today, we're going to be looking at uh, the different things that pour into that good news message. Now, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. You saw it on the screen. If you need a Bible, the ushers are walking by, and if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll be glad to give you one. If you don't have one and would like to keep that, that is our gift to you. Um, but I'm also going to be jumping around from different uh, places in Scripture, especially in the book of Romans, 1 John, uh, Hebrews. We're going to be jumping around a little bit here. But let's talk about good news. First of all, good news is good news with a couple of conditions. For example, good news is not good news if you don't know the bad news. Now, if someone is drowning in water, they know the bad news. And so tossing them a life preserver is the good news. All I have to do is grab onto that. But 
And many in our world don't know the bad news, and so before we can tell them the good news, we actually need to tell them some of the bad news. But good news is um, based on, it's good news if it's true. This book, this Bible, this is our objective basis of truth. And we live in a world where this objective measure of truth is increasingly being rejected with phrases like, well, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. In which case, nobody has any objective truth. Everything is subjective. We need to have something firm upon which to stand. That's God's word. The same yesterday, today, and forever is God part of God's character. So it is with his word. And so we need to have good news that is based on truth. Good news is also good news if it, if it gets there in time. Again, if somebody's drowning and you throw them a life preserver and they're already at the bottom of the ocean, it's too late. Good news is only good news if it gets there in time. Romans 10, 14, and 15 says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But good news is also good news only if it is heard and accepted. What good does it do someone if they don't act upon the good news? First John 5, 11, 12, and 13, um, when Chuck came to my house in 1976 and led me to the Lord and immediately just started to disciple me, these are the, some of the first verses that he shared with me to memorize. First John 5, 11 to 13, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the life has the Son. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. If you have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. This is very simple yet difficult, but we make it more complicated than, than it needs to be at times. And we want to talk about that today. So, when you think about a gift, a gift given in love, there's always a receiver of that gift. There's an object of God's love. You cannot love, you have to love something. You have to love someone. There's an object of your love, just as we are the object of God's love. When he gave us his son, he gave his son, he didn't just give his son, he gave his son to us. And so we want to look at the gracious, three gracious gifts that God gives to us this morning. First is the gracious gift of faith, the gracious gift of rest, and the gracious gift of service. So the first one is the gracious gift of faith, Ephesians 2, 8. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Now many of you know that we have four daughters, four sons-in-law, and soon coming grandchild number eight. <laughs> uh, and we are blessed by our family, but did you know that our third daughter was twins? Grace and Faith, many of you guys know Grace and Faith. And um, do you know who's older? There they are, Grace and Faith, when they were born. Grace is older, of course, because theologically, Grace comes before Faith. <laughs> In this case, about 25 minutes. But theologically, Grace comes before Faith. We need God's grace, and then we take our faith and, and enjoy the gracious gift that is given to us. 
Now, we live in a world where we use words like saved without unbelievers even knowing what that means. And so we as believers need to be conscious of how we communicate in a way that can be understood. Saved from what? I mean, this is what you'll hear unbelievers say sometimes. Well, okay, we're saved. Saved from what? Saved from an eternity without God. Whether you call it hell or eternity without God, unbelievers need to understand that this is significant. Even if they say, well, there's nothing afterwards. What do I care? This is why we need to explain not only the present joys of knowing God, but the eternal joys of always being with our creator, God. I want to share with you some, what, what many of you already know, is a tool for sharing your faith. Romans, the Romans Road. Tony shared some of these verses last week. And we, in our um, philosophy of ministry here at LEFC, operate under what we call oikos ministry. Oikos referring to the relational world, those that are around you. And if you have within your oikos, those who don't know Jesus, these are four verses that you can share with them. And so it's a good reminder for us, but I'm also sharing it with an added motivation of, are you able to share these with others? So Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, there are two plans to get into heaven. There's two ways to get into heaven. Plan A is to live a perfect life. Anyone betting on that one? Yeah, because we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the consequence is Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. What we deserve for our sin is death. But, don't you love the buts? But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And finally, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Jesus made it very clear that there's only two plans and that once you have failed plan A, the only plan B is him when he said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me. One of the courses I teach at LBC is world religions, and it's a very easy distinction to make between plan, and plan A and plan B. And when, you, when we get to plan B and we say Jesus is the only way, we are accused of being narrow-minded, of being exclusive, and you know what? We are, and we must be, because that is what God's word tells us. There is only one way to the Father, it is through Jesus. And when we start saying that other ways, all roads lead to God, then we are denying the value of the cross and what Jesus did. So I'm talking about being accessible in how we speak to those who don't understand our language. Let me go to the other end and throw a couple of theological terms at you. Our soteriology. Soteriology is the study of salvation. And in our soteriology, we must be exclusive. But... In our ecclesiology, our study of the church and how we run the church, we need to be inclusive. You think about the one person or the type of group, people that you would feel most uncomfortable sitting next to you right now. What do we as a church need to do to make that person feel comfortable to be here so that they can hear the truths of God's word? We are not doing a very good job of that and we can be doing better. 
We need to be exclusive in who Jesus is, but we need to be inclusive in who we bring into hear that message. And that's not easy. What it requires is an understanding of the grace that's been given to us so that we can increasingly give grace to others. Have you received this gift of eternal life through Jesus? Again, 1 John 5, 11, 12, and 13 says, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life if, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son of, has the life, whoever does not have the son of God does not have the life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. So in other words, if you have Jesus, you have also have eternal life. By the way, that book that I just gave you a, moment, a few moments ago, you may not care for my book. That's okay, I understand. But inside there at page 56 of the chapter that begins talking about grace is also a Chick-fil-A gift card. <laughs> you see, since he has my book, he also has a gift card to the Chick-fil-A. Whether he knew it or not or not, he does, now does. Um, the, thing, the difference here is that any analogy breaks down, right? Um, the nice thing about giving a gift that has another gift within it, at, at least when it comes to salvation, we get to re-gift it and still have it ourselves. That Chick-fil-A gift card is gonna be used and gone. That book will be read and, or not and passed on or whatever. The gift that God gives to me, I get to not only keep and develop, but I get to give it away to others and I have a responsibility to do the same. There are some in this room perhaps or those who are watching who have never received this gift and I would ask, why? Why have you not received this gift? It's not because you've not heard it before. I don't think this is the first time you're hearing it. But I want you to think about why you're not receiving that gift and we'll come back to that in a, in a moment. The second gracious gift after faith is the gift of rest. All right, everyone do this with me, ready? In through the nose, out through the mouth. You know, you don't have to work for your salvation. Jesus did it for you. You can stop working to impress God because he's not impressed. There are no amount, there's no high pile of works that you can bring to God and say, huh, what do you think? because there's that other pile of sin that we have to deal with. And some sin more than others, okay, granted, but once you throw one bad egg in the omelet, I am not eating it. Once you throw one bad apple in the apple pie, no thank you. And God says he's not a favorite, he shows no favoritism, he's not a respecter of persons, you have broken one of my sins, you are guilty of all, of breaking the law. So let's not hold ourselves in comparison to one another, because in God's eyes, we're guilty. Josh McDowell, I remember him saying one time, you know why people feel guilty? They're guilty. <laughs> and perhaps part of what we need to do is to remind ourselves of our guilt so that we can better appreciate the gift that's been given to us. My favorite book in the Bible is Joshua. I love the story of Joshua, going into the promised land, fighting the battles in the south, coming back to Gilgal, fighting the battles in the north, coming back. And then you get the verse, uh, chapter 13, which, I mean, God starts out by saying to Joshua, Joshua, you are old, but there's still much land yet to be taken. But then he goes on at the end of the chapter and says, he says that the land had rest from war. That wasn't the end of the story, but think about that time where the land had rest from war. 
I keep that in the background here as, as I look at, I'm going to read a longer passage from Hebrews chapter 4 as it relates to rest. Not just physical rest, not just rest from battles, but an eternal rest. Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So again, just as we need to talk about bad news in terms of what is good news, let's talk about what the gospel message is not. First of all, the gospel message is not doing good works. Again, there's no number, amount of good works that you can do that God will say, okay, come on in. One of the, uh, if you've ever done training, uh, D. James Kennedy's, I think it was Evangelism Explosion, you know these two questions that we often ask in evangelism. If you were to die tonight, would you know for sure that you're going to heaven? And the second one is like it. If you were to die tonight and God were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? You ask somebody those two questions and you get a good idea of whether they're relying on plan A, their works, or plan B, relying on the gift that God's given. Secondly, the gospel message is not being kind. In our society today, kindness has risen very close, if not to the top, of the list of values in society. Being kind. I just think it's important that we be kind to one another, that we respect one another, that we value one another. Okay, being kind is important. Scripture tells us that. But it is not the basis of my eternal life. It's not the basis of salvation. We'll get to that in a moment. Some of you may be familiar with the phrase virtue signaling, where people, especially on social media, will portray themselves as being good people by all the good things that they do in order to be looked at in a certain way. Let me signal to you my virtue by how I'm being kind and doing this and doing that to bless other people, to help other people. Now, I struggle as a words of affirmation kind of guy and the idea, oh, am I doing things for the right motive? Am I doing this to get praise in return or am I doing this to feel good about myself? That's, that's not what, that devalues the gift. God gave us the ability to rest from trying to earn our way into his favor, into his presence, into his uh, heaven. So the 
gracious gift of faith, the gracious gift of rest, which brings us to the third one, the gracious gift of service. I mean, think about verse nine. Not by work so that no one can boast. And then you get to verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're supposed to do good works, but not to gain our way into heaven, but to say thank you to God for what you've given to me. That, that word, we are God's handiwork, the Greek word is poema, from which we get the word poem. You and I were created by God with intention and with purpose. He intentionally, far in advance, before we were born, I mean, long ago, he knew you. He knew me. He knew, he knew how he was going to create me so that I could uniquely glorify his name by how I live. That book that I gave you a little while ago, I wrote that. I created this with intent and with a purpose, with an audience in mind, and with a who, a, this book is written for a purpose. God created you for a purpose. He knows each of us specifically, but he also empowers us specifically to do what he's called us to do. First Thessalonians 5.24, faithful is he who calls us and he will do it. I need to lean into him as he's created me to do what he's called me to do with the power that he gives me through the Holy Spirit. I would love for each one of us to look in the mirror and say, God, how have you created me and how can I use this for your glory, for your purposes and for the blessing of others? We get to serve God. It's like, oh no, what? So I grew up with five brothers and a sister. My dad was an excellent supervisor of yard work. <laughs> um, put that over there, a little bit to the left. So imagine waking up Saturday morning and saying, okay, what's our chores for today? That's not at all what it is like. God, I wake, I wake up in the morning and say, God, what do I get to do for you today? without bemoaning, without grudging. I get to serve the living God, the God who created me. What an opportunity. As a way to say thank you. Aren't you glad that verse 10 comes after verse nine? Because if I had to do good works to get into heaven, how much weight would that be for me? But I get to do the good works because of the gift that God's given me. And to say thank you, to bring glory to him, to say thank you to him, and yes, to be a good witness for God. In that order, seek first to glorify him by thanking him by your life and your words, but also with a mind that there are those around you watching you and watching our works. And many people are looking at Christians and judging Christ by Christians. Christians are the best witnesses for, for Christ. We are also the worst witnesses for Christ. They look at our lives and they decide about Jesus based on who we are and whether that's fair or not, that's the reality. The way I live is a reflection of my Savior. Just as my children, the way they live, are a reflection of me. 
but on a much grander scale. So you see, we have become an offense to others rather than the, the cross being the offense. You've heard it said before, what you do speak so loudly I can't hear a word you say. What you do speak so loudly I can't hear a word you say. And we need to be increasingly aware of how our actions reflect on our God. Are we drawing people to God by how we live and what we say or are we pushing them away by what we do and what we say? One of the things that some of you are probably familiar with, I don't know how many, uh, is this phrase deconstructing our faith. There are many Christians who are walking away from the Lord today. And you know why? It's because of us. It's because of the church. It's because they see the hypocrisy within the church of how Christians, if that's what Christianity is, then no thank you, I'm done. Shame on us. Think about the weight that we carry, not to get our salvation, that's been paid but the weight of representing Jesus Christ to others. What's happened is we've lost the objective truth. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. My truth, by many are saying, is based on what you say and how you live. And we need to recognize that we have an opportunity to reverse that by living lives that are worthy of the gospel, but also a blessing to those around us. In Ephesians 4, we will get to this passage later on, of course, but it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Think about how much grace has been poured out on us, how much grace we should be pouring out on others. How are you going to pour grace out on others if you haven't fully embraced the grace that's been given to you? Today's uh, society has begun to replace truth with feelings, with heart, if you will, with a value of being kind. What it really is saying is that we are moving from a paradigm of guilt and innocence. Think about it. Those of you who are older, perhaps, I'll say, uh, closer to my age, we grew up with the church teaching, you are guilty. You need a savior to be justified so that your innocence will be restored in standing with God. And that is true. But another aspect of the gospel message is the honor-shame paradigm which most of the world lives under and which is increasingly our culture here in the U.S. Where the greatest sin is disrespect. Feeling undervalued or not valued. And we need to recognize that it's not an either-or, it's a both-end. We need to be justified through Jesus' death and resurrection and what he did for us. But we also, as Jesus did, need to restore honor to those who are feeling shamed. Think about it today. One of the biggest sins is you disrespected me. You're causing me to feel shame. Hear me clearly here. Some people would say that every human being is a child of God. And let me make a distinction here. Every human being is created in the image of God. Each of us has within us the imago Dei, the image of God. And as such, we need to treat others with respect. Regardless of their spiritual standing, they are created by God and need to be respected and honored as a fellow image bearer. On the other hand, those who are children of God are those who, according to John 
in many difficult occasions, but John 1, 12, for as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become, to be called children of God. So let's draw a distinction between being a child of God and being a creature created in the image of God. And those who would not, never walk into this room here might not do so because they do not feel honored as a fellow image bearer of God. Even within our own ranks, we need to remind ourselves of the value of the image of God within that person across from you. I remember being in, a, in my role overseeing many church planning teams in Southeast Asia, and a long story made short, I remember receiving an email after I made a decision to appoint someone as a team leader over a team, and I got this email from an individual, and this email, here's how I describe it. If you could have printed out that email, it would have come out as ashes because it was filled with hot anger at me, attacking me personally and all kinds. She was upset with me. Whew. Now, how would you respond to someone like that? I mean, I, in one of my rare Holy Spirit-led moments, I'll say, I wrote back and said, this is unacceptable. I appreciate that you are angry and don't agree with my decision. But as a brother in the Lord, as someone created in the image of God, I deserve better than this, and I'm asking you to please write your email again to me as a brother in the Lord. That relationship, she responded wonderfully. She did, we entered into discussion, and our relationship went much higher than it ever would have had that episode never taken place. But it requires stepping back and saying, okay, I need to identify my emotions and how I'm handling those emotions with those around me. That's even within the body of Christ. How about those who are watching us from outside the body? What are we saying to them by our actions and by our words? We are certainly not drawing them to God. Being kind is just one of the many good works that we can do. Again, what's the what are the purposes of doing good works? Glorify God. Thanking him for what he's given us. And yes, helping those around us to see him. We need to communicate the gospel in a way that they can hear, accept, and accept. We think, oh, here's my gospel message. For gospel message, push one. <laughs> but the person on the other side of that conversation may need you to come in a different manner, at least initially. James 2 says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. It's not an either or. It's interesting. Do you guys believe in uh, God's sovereignty? I know you do. <laughs> his omnipresence, there's nowhere that I can go that he's not there, never a time that he's not with me. This morning, a couple hours ago, driving here to church, get uh, our daughter Carla and her husband uh, Zach and two of our grandkids are serving in Thailand. They're going to be coming back in, next month. And she went, it's about 11 or 12 hours ahead of us there. So it's Sunday morning here and Sunday evening there. She had just come back to her home from a retreat, a art retreat, expressing herself and, you know, finding ways to create, uh, to create in a way to process with God. And she wrote this poem, and I said, Carol, quick, text her, ask her if I can use this in the sermon. 
And she did. She said yes. And I mean, it's just amazing how God in his sovereignty had this poem written by my daughter without her even knowing it, without even knowing that I'm preaching on this passage. And this is, I'm going to read this poem to you if I can get through it. It's called Dust. Keep in mind Ephesians 2, 1 through 7, we're dead, and then the gracious gift of life through Jesus Christ. Just as we sang a little while ago, the word but, listen for the but in this poem. He has shown you, O mortal, mortal, mortal. Let all mortal flesh keep silent. Christ our God to earth descended, for he knows our frame, knows that we are dust. Dust, dust. Here today, gone tomorrow, not remembered. I am not a superhero. I am not a superhero. I am mortal. I am finite. I am from dust and will return to dust. Imperfect, unwhole, inglorious, not called to save the world, not able to save myself, unable to justify myself. But... Jesus in his perfect righteousness, his utter wholeness, his dazzling glory is coming to rescue me. He's perpetually on his way and simultaneously whispering sweet nothings, sweet everythings in my ear about how I am worth it, worth whatever price, that I may be dust, but I'm the most beloved dust, how he longs to kiss my mortality where it hurts, how he knows, he knows, He knows my frame, he made my frame. Sculpting every piece of adorned carbon, he's never required me to save myself, that's his job. Will you let me rescue you? Will you let me rescue you? We are never asked to save ourselves. That was what Jesus did for us. Who in your world needs this message? Who in your world needs to see and hear this message in your life? A couple of questions to wrap up. What have you done to deserve the gift given to you? Nothing. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. Have you received the gift offered to you? If you have not received this gift, why not? And if your answer is, Because I see what Christians are doing, please stop and let me say this to you. Judge Jesus by Jesus. We who are his followers do a bad job sometimes, and we apologize for misrepresenting our Savior to you. Judge Christ by Christ. If you have Receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. How well are you thanking him with your life? How well does your life say thank you for the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord? What can you do even this week to increasingly say thank you? I want you to enjoy the gift of the book that I gave you. (laughs) I want all of us to enjoy the gift that God has given us. And unlike that gift of the book, give it away. Give it away. What's the greatest gift you could ever have received? In this case, you get to give it away to those who don't have it. Father, thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross on our behalf.
Help us to increasingly appreciate the grace extended to us, the mercy extended to us. Help us to do so with others. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to sing this song is, it's an opportunity to respond. So however you feel most comfortable engaging with this opportunity, we'd love if you'd like to stand and join with us and raise hands and sing with us, or if you would prefer to just sit here and receive these words and reflect on them as we sing. Wherever you feel comfortable in this moment, however you want to respond to the gospel, to the grace that has been offered to us in this moment, engage with God however you feel you should.
So I know it's not Easter, but he is risen. The world needs that message, doesn't it? This coming week, remind yourselves of who Jesus is in your life. Is he truly Lord of all? We have this misunderstanding that I make him Lord. Newsflash, he's already Lord. Are we yielding to his lordship? Do we get to tell others about this living Christ? who changed our lives and gave us a new standing and restored our honor. May God increasingly put upon your hearts a desire to know him and make him known to others. Have a great week.